Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to our part two sit down with Miss Alexis Nyers Hines. If you haven't heard part one, check it out. We really start at the beginning, her childhood. We talk about that wonderful e reality show. We talk about really how she fell into drugs, why. Alexis is so open and honest with her story. We talk about celebrity culture. Are we too obsessed with fame? Of course, the bling ring. We chatted for so long, guys. Check out part one and now stay tuned for part two. So that's your life. It's not really celebrity obsessed. It's lots of drugs. You want to score. You have these wild nights out. So now talk to me about how we get from all that going on in your life to, you know, you meeting Rachel Lee and the bling ring. Like, how does that now come to be part of it? I think that's a really common misperception about just because the way that the media kind of put me as the front and center of the bling ring but um I didn't know Rachel Lee I didn't know Diana or really anyone in the group very well I didn't know Rachel Lee at all I did have a couple of nights out with Courtney um but I didn't know Rachel I didn't know Diana I didn't know I don't even know the other guys who were involved um the only person I knew in the bling ring was Nick I was introduced to Nick through Tess um and uh, I only knew Nick for a short period of time. At the time that I met Nick, Nick had already been robbing Paris Hilton and all those people. I was only at one house, and that was Orlando Bloom's house. Mm-hmm. And I didn't plan the robbery, but I did take part in the robbery. But um, yeah, it just I think that I became like the face of the bling ring just because sex sells and it's way more sexy for some girl that has her own reality show to become the face of the bling ring than just some kids from Calabasas who were addicted to robbing people. So yeah, I um, I was involved in that robbery at Orlando Bloom's house. But that was it. And then after that night, so I had signed my contract with E and the robbery took place two weeks later, which like, why would you plan a robbery of a celebrity when you just signed a contract with E? You wouldn't. Why would you rob a house anyway if you're there? Well, because I was a drug addict and drug addicts do whatever they can to get whatever they can get. Although the only things that I ended up taking from that house were a Louis Vuitton briefcase and one black dress. But you give the opportunity of a drug addict to rob a house, chances are they're probably going to rob a house. And that's not to say that I was the Mother Teresa. I had never robbed a house before that. But um, I certainly had never done anything like that before. I had taken change out of people's cars. I had definitely stolen cash out of a friend's wallet to get drugs. I'd taken money from my parents, like lots of money from my parents to get drug money. 
but I was no like burglar mastermind at all. So it's not like, you know, cause I think that's a misperception in the media too. Like you weren't part of the sitting around and like that whole celebrity, like, oh my God, let's hit up Lohan's house. Let's hit up Paris's house. Let's do Rachel Bilson. Like there was this, there was this element, I guess, with them of who the person was, I think, as far as a celebrity. Yeah. I mean, I can't say for sure because I can't speak for Nick or Rachel about what their motives were. I think that the story of the bling ring, unfortunately, is lacking a lot of nuance. I think that there's a lot more similarities in our stories, in their stories and in mine, than there are differences. I think that when you look at the history and the things that Nick and Rachel and Courtney and them were going through in their home life, I think it's a lot like what we were going through. And maybe there was that aspect or what I was going through. And maybe there was that aspect of the celebrity, but I think that there was a lot more like mental health crisis and addiction than what was ever portrayed in the media. Did you hear of the bling ring like before you were there at Orlando's house? Like, did you hear of it? Like, did you know what it was? Like, did you know these people were the people? No. So at the time, um, okay. So at this, so in, Way before I met Nick in December of 2008 was when they robbed Paris Hilton's house. And of course that made news for like a minute, but no one thought that it was like this burglar heist. So it just kind of moved on. Yeah. Then several months later, they robbed Rachel Bilson's house. And I don't think anyone then was even connecting the dots. So those were the only robberies that had transpired before the robbery of Orlando Bloom. And then Nick and Rachel proceeded after the robbery of Orlando Bloom to rob Audrina Patridge to attempt to rob Megan Fox and um, uh, Lindsay Wellhand. That came like later in the summer after I stopped talking to Nick because after that night happened, after he took me to that house, I was kind of like, this is bad and like, we're not talking anymore. I think I kind of realized that, you know, that was way I was doing a lot of like dark and scary stuff, but like that was not something I was interested in. So we pretty much um, really distanced ourselves and stopped talking. Um, so, yeah. So you were literally just there and they're like, we're going to go in this house now and rob it. And you were just right there. Um, right, uh, I was staying with Nick. Okay, so Tess got kicked out of my house our house like did you know before you headed up there or no we were out part nick and i were out partying and then he was like i gotta go let's go and i was like okay and then we pulled up to the house and rachel and diana were already there and they were in a different car so um yeah and then like for you like you said it was just about like being a drug addict and like maybe i could get something worth money and that could lead to drugs yeah i didn't know house it was at the time is and it didn't I mean it, it was like a night I don't want to say it was a bad house it was like it was an okay house it just it wasn't like there it wasn't like you walked in and saw like academy awards <laughs> like you know what right. I mean like, just looks like a normal like kind of mid-century modern home in the Hollywood Hills it didn't look like right posters of whose house it was in the house did they know though? Like, I mean, I imagine they knew the people that were. Sure. 
Yeah, I'm sure they knew. So that happened, you did that, and that was literally two weeks after you signed your contract with E. So like, yeah. as this was happening, like, were you nervous? Like, oh, should I have a reality show? I mean, I guess that was even, I mean, it was reality. We're in the middle of reality, but it wasn't like today. Like, if you have anything to hide, you better come out and say it because everything comes out now if you're on any reality show. But that never really crossed your mind. No, I didn't. I never thought um, that that would be, that would transpire the way that it did. No. You know, I felt, um, some guilt and shame immediately of course and that carried you know I ended up calling the cops when the video of um when Zero Hands house came out and I like told them that it was Nick um you know I just kind of I think when you're in like a drug addicted say like haze you're just kind of like that was crazy and like let's pretend let's use even more drugs to pretend that that didn't happen and so while there was some guilt and shame. It was just like, okay, so now we just got to use more drugs to get rid of this. And you said like, do you, that it's more sexy for like someone who's at like the face of a reality TV show. Do you think that really, that was a huge part of it? The fact that you had a TV show on E, like a major network, like that's kind of how you became one of the main faces of this. Yeah, I definitely think, yeah, I mean, if you just look at, like, the article that went viral and became the basis of a movie, it's, like, you're so heavily focused on, like, one girl who was only charged with one burglary and not, like, the two main people who were being charged with whatever it was, six, seven, eight counts of burglary with multi-million of dollars of shit stolen yeah. you know and this is not again you know when I talk about taking responsibility I'm not saying that I shouldn't have been a part of the bling ring story I'm saying that media is is historically and famously would be the right word sexist and misogynistic and in it to create a buzz and to put out as many stories as possible to get as many clicks as possible. And I think that the amount of clicks that they would get and the amount of watches that they would get goes up substantially when it's a girl who has her own reality show than if it was just some young teenage kids from Calabasas. I talk to so many people on this show that when I run into someone or have them back on the show and they remember my name, I'm always blown away. It's the little details. And when it comes to sheets, the only place I turn is Bowl and Branch. Why? Because they pay attention to the little details. Bowl and Branch was formed by a husband and wife team that set out to give sleepers more choices for high quality sheets at a fair price. And boy, did they ever accomplish that. What I love is the variety of colors. I chose the pewter mainly because it goes best with my apartment. The sheets are so elegant. They look and feel so sophisticated. Sophisticated, but the price is so reasonable. That's why I chose them. They're 100% organic cotton. They are made toxin free. And what I love is they get softer with every wash. Sheets that look high end, sophisticated and elegant, but are affordable. Sign me up. And that is why I did sign up. These are the only sheets I will now use. And you guys need to check this out. So listen, you can try them worry free for 30 nights with free shipping and returns. To 
to experience the best sheets you've ever felt, choose Bowling Branch. And because you're listening to this podcast, you get an exclusive 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code VELVET at BowlingBranch.com. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L and B-R-A-N-C-H.com, promo code VELVET. I would agree with all of that, 100%. So like, were you scared, you know, like- this happens and then it's two weeks after, I mean, after you sign your contract and then you're filming. So like, were you scared or was there a certain time of like, I don't want to, I don't want to focus on what I did. It was wrong, but like, okay, like no one's looking for me. They're not talking about, or like, as this was a thing on the news, like, do you start getting scared? No, I bet when you're on the amount of drugs that I was on, I don't think that fear is a primary emotion it's really just like the only fear is that the drugs are going to run out you know I think I got scared of course when I was arrested I was scared it's really scary like yeah but the biggest fear when I was arrested was like I'm going to jail and now I can't use drugs like what am I going to do you know I don't know it's not glamorous like the life of a junkie is really like let's get high. That's really the only thing, you know, I had years and years of chronic stress and trauma that like the drugs were suppressing, take away the drugs. And all of a sudden I have to deal with all of the years and years of chronic stress and trauma. So when you got, so when you did get arrested, which was on camera for pretty wild, the reality show, but yeah, that that was fake. Mm -hmm. And the house was fake. Like it was all first the bubble for everybody. But like, reality tv is so far from real it's mostly lightly scripted and fake i would agree with that too people always ask me because like i speak to a lot of the housewives like who's your favorite housewife i'm like my opinions are based on like this like i'm speaking to you now i keep in touch with a lot of people i'm like whatever happens on the tv i'm always shocked when people are like i fucking hate her she's this she's that why did you interview her? I'm like, she's the nicest human being in the world. It's all fake people. I mean, mostly, mostly. I mean, a little bit different. Like housewives, they live in their own houses. Yes. Like all of like, that is true. I think it was a little different for us because when you're the star of your own show and not a franchise, there's no money to it. But yeah, there was, you know, that wasn't a real arrest. That was a redo. That wasn't like a lot of the stuff, a lot of the fights, a lot of the arguments were like set up when our dog went missing. She wasn't really missing. The production company was hiding her in the garage to get a response out of us. Like they just fuck with you like all day long. That's their job to make a crazy reality show. Well, and the fact that the on-screen arrest was fake. Mm -hmm. That's shock. I mean, so how do you even agree to that? Like where they're like, we're going to now arrest you on camera. I mean, it's not really an odd a choice. Like it's once you you like sell yourself to the soul to the devil. Like I don't know if we could have ever gotten out of that contract. Like after, so we shot one day, and we shot until the wee hours of the morning. I came home at three ish in the morning, popped a huge Xanax, went to bed knowing that I was gonna have to get up five hours later to do it again. And that morning I was actually arrested. Okay. So they couldn't film my actual arrest. So they, you know, at that point I was arrested. I went to jail. I was booked. I came out and like the show immediately got picked up for the full season because we had just shot the pilot. So it was like, 
there's no, you know, you, you just do what you have to do. You just do whatever they tell you. And, well, no, I mean, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to say, so like in getting the show, when this person got you the show, was it ever for you about, oh my God, like I love the Kardashians, I'm going to be famous or no, it was all about like, wait, you're putting money in my account. I can go get drugs. I mean, with fame comes like a lifestyle. And I was really excited about that lifestyle. But I didn't really care to be famous or infamous or whatever. <laughs> like, I was just kind of like, hey, I now have a $10,000 a week drug habit between me and Tess. And like, how am I going to fill this drug habit without working like this? I think that's kind of a misperception about you, though. I think a lot of the media painted you to be, you know, yes, you were open about the drugs. I think you were just painted to be a fame whore. Really? I do. Don't, don't you? Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's easier to, it's easier to look at surface level stuff than it is to look at the greater. And I think that that's really what my mission is now is to like challenge the narrative and like I feel like the the fame thing is like a cop-out like I feel like it's really like a cop-out it's a way for us to not really focus on the actual problem because you know we have the highest incarceration rate of anywhere in the world and we're unwilling to look at why that is and how traumatizing that is for children and for families and how it literally creates systemic poverty and you know pain and which results in more drug addiction and more crime right so we're not willing to look at that so what we do is we just point our fingers and go well they're drug addicts so they belong in jail or they committed a crime, so they belong in jail. And I'm not saying that there's no place for a um, for reform or for not. It's not like everybody should be released from jail. Like I'm not saying if you murder someone, you shouldn't go to jail. I'm just saying I think we can have these conversations now, which we we're starting to have. We're starting to see it, especially with Gen Z. Shout out to any Gen Zers who listen to this podcast. Like, I stand for you so hard because you guys are really waking up and doing the work that we hoped millennials would do but didn't. And it's like, I think it's just, it's yeah, it's like a cop-out to like go, oh, it's like fame obsession or whatever it is. It's not. There's like, it's so much more nuanced than that. And I think it's just kind of lazy <laughs> for us to go, oh, it's this thing, or it's this thing, or it's this thing, without really being willing to look at, like, the trauma. Because the thing is, like, had I not been abused in the way that I was, I would have never ended up robbing Orlando Bloom's house. That's the truth. And so it's like, we have to have the ability to zoom out and to look at, like, the cyclical effects of trauma and and like look and broaden, like, the responsibility of, of, of crime. Like, I assure you, the women that I met in jail who were in there serving time for crimes 
or who were spending years away from their families just because they couldn't afford bail for drug crimes, which is absurd. Like, you know, (laughs) okay, so say you have a woman who goes into jail and she was caught selling cocaine. She had an ounce of cocaine on her. It was her drug dealer boyfriend. They have a kid together. It's easy to go, well, she was dealing drugs and drugs is illegal and you shouldn't be dealing drugs. It takes more empathy and the ability to like actually think to go, well, wait a second. What was her home life like? Home life like? I'll admit it. As important as it is for me to eat healthy and put the right nutrients into my body and hydrate, I'm really not great at it. I'm always on the go. I'm never making that a priority and I'm always hungry. This was a real problem until I discovered 310 Nutrition. I love 310 Nutrition's water hydrators. You just add them to water and they make your water taste so much better. They also have refreshing lemonade mixes. My personal favorite, they're all in one shakes. I love their caramel sundae, their vanilla cake, the shamrock cream. I drink one of these shakes and it totally satisfies my hunger. They're low in fat and low carbs, which I love. They also satisfy my carb craving. But don't take my word for it. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code VELVETROPE and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 off your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and it's easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products you know you'll use. Go to 310nutrition.com and use the code VELVETROPE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use code VELVETROPE. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com slash velvetrope. Listen, life is full of stress. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are. Life is stressful. You may not be feeling down and out and depressed or like you're at a total loss, but if your stress level is high, like mine, your temper is shorter than usual, like mine, or even if you're starting to feel strained in any of your relationships, you could probably use the chance to unload. Unload the stress and get it out. Talk to someone who's completely unbiased and who's not going to judge you or take sides. If there's stuff you can't tell your friends or family, this is the place to do it. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain for it. Try it out. See if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Behind the Velvet Rope listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. That's B. E T T E R H E L P dot com slash velvet rope. Betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. And now that she's in jail because she can't afford bail, what's happening to her children? And then as a result of her and her boyfriend being in jail and the children being in the home environment now with her parents that created the mess that became her. You know what I mean? It's like those children. And what about the 500,000 children who are in foster care and all of the things? It's like we're unwilling to look at like the bigger systemic issues. And instead, we just want to keep having scapegoats 
in our society to make ourselves feel better about our shitty choices. Well, then do you, I mean, are you a fan then of reality TV in the sense that like, it'll give someone like a Kim Kardashian that platform? Because that's a huge thing of what she does. I mean, try to help people that are like falsely imprisoned or just got a sentence that was... Is it though? Like, is she really creating mass systemic change or is she taking the what power she has and trying to is she jumping on the social justice bandwagon that is happening in pop culture right now that we're seeing so what happened was none of the celebrities were doing shit politically because it was too dangerous for them to do so because they would maybe lose out on a job or lose a contract or whatever it might be until there was enough people who started holding a flame to these celebrities' asses and going, what the fuck? You have a platform and it is your job to use that platform in a responsible way. So you started seeing celebrities jumping on these challenges, right? And you can tell the difference between performative allyship and an actual allyship, like ally. And I'm sorry, you, Kim Kardashian, in my opinion, is a performative ally. While I think her getting those couple of people out of jail was great, let's talk about what she is, how she has profited and made hundreds of millions of dollars off of Black culture without identifying the fact that she uses Black culture to get there. And then where do those hundreds of millions of dollars go? Is she, she has enough money to create massive change right now. Massive. She, she could dump $100 million right now into bail reform, housing for women who are incarcerated. Her and her sisters and her family could be doing all of these things. And occasionally you see, oh, okay, so Kim's donating a million dollars or something. Everyone's like, clever Kim was talking about the fact that family literally made money off of her selling a sex tape off of like having a fake ass and black and and operating off of black culture I'm sorry it's tired and I'm I'm over it like the amount of people who are like claps to Kim and then we've got Kanye who I'm going to keep my commentary minimal because I know he struggles with mental health issues and I have nothing but deep empathy for people who are dealing with mental health crises and so now for like the fame of it, you're going to come in and create this like this bill, but it's not really dealing with the issue. It's not really dealing with the issue. And I believe that it's more for the look of it than it is to actually do something about it because you, she's, you're putting a bandaid on a massive issue. And I'm not saying that saving that woman's life was not huge because it is, she didn't believe, deserve to believe in jail, belong in jail, deserve to belong in jail. Sorry, I get really heated when I talk about this, clearly. But like, none of them belong in jail, unless they actually murdered someone, drug addicts and drug dealers, and people who are stealing in order to survive don't belong in jail. I'm not saying I don't belong in jail for my crime. I went to jail, it was the best thing that ever happened to me, and it changed my life. The only reason why that happened, though, that it changed my life and was the best thing that ever happened to me is because it got my ass from jail, because I'm a white girl, into rehab, which is what I needed all along. How many of those people actually end up in a great rehab center for an entire year? I'll tell you, none. 
is like probably less than 0.00005%. The rest of them sit in there and get traumatized by their experience in jail. There's no rehabilitation that is happening in jail. It's a mass profit system that's profiting from major lobbyists in this country, and it is tired, and I'm tired of it. So do I think Kim Kardashian or any of the Kardashians or the Jenner clan are really doing enough for, you know, the world? <laughs> no. With the amount of power and money and influence they have? Absolutely not. If I had that kind of money, there would be 600 rehabs up in America right now. An additional you know, however many for women and children who are getting out of jail, who are trying to rebuild their lives. I'd be working with like the the great, you know, some of the great women that I've had the honor of having on my podcast, like Susan, who runs a new way of life, you know, who is like trying to make ends meet. So no, and it's like, you know, but whatever, everyone, everyone can do what they want with their money. But like, we shouldn't be like, like praising the Kardashians right now. <laughs> Again, it's like we should be praising the young women who, you know, or, or we should be praising activists and amazing uh, women who are involved in our politics right now. And, you know, the ones who are like actually creating an impact on this world and in this planet. So... And you think also, no, and you think, no, I mean, I, listen, I I love passion. And you think, what, Kim does this for, like, hey, look at me, I'm a nice person? I'm not going to speak for Kim Kardashian. It looks like performative allyship, is what I will say, rather than actual allyship. And I don't have access to Kim Kardashian's, you know, financial records. So for all I know, she could be doing more than what I actually see. But I don't see it. And I just think that it's a problem that we as a society go, oh, Kim Kardashian, ally, working to do all this this stuff. But like, I don't see that. I also understand the mental health stuff. I'm just saying like, there is so much more that people could be doing. And I'm, I'm just not impressed. That's fair. Fair enough. You know, unless I start seeing their Facebooks and Instagrams being filled with like the pictures of black men and women and Latina men and women who are being wrongfully convicted and incarcerated unless they start seeing like millions of dollars being dumped into defense funds for these people who are in jail on drug charges like I'm not going to be impressed that makes sense it's like I don't consider you a mover and a shaker because two percent of your energy went to helping other people And then like 98% went to making yourself more wealthy. Fair enough. And when you yourself were arrested for you, I mean, this kind of goes along with my question of were you scared? Were were you scared? Was it, or it really was just like, I can't have my drugs. Like I will be in jail and tonight I can't do drugs. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's scary to go to jail for the first time, like jail, jail, not like getting arrested and booked, but like actually going to jail was very scary. Um, but, you know, in dealing with withdrawal in jail and kicking heroin and benzos and alcohol, cold turkey is not only dangerous, but really scary, but, you know, it, it was kind of like, that was the moment that I woke up to how fucked up the system is. 
Guys, you know I spend all day talking to the Real Housewives from every city. Listen, I can't help it. All my friends are women. And as a self-respecting gay man, when we get together, nothing is off limits. What I hear from my friends all the time is that when they turn to high-quality underwear, sleepwear, and loungewear, the only place they go is Third Love. Third Love has cup sizes ranging from AA to I, including exclusive half cups, and lounge and sleepwear comes in sizes XS to 3X. With such a large variety of sizes, what happens? The fit ends up being perfect. There's a really easy fitting room quiz to take when shopping at Third Love. It's like a personal shopper. It's very interactive. The quiz focuses on size, breast shape, current fit issues, and someone's personal style to help deliver bras and underwear that are the perfect fit for you. The fitting room has helped 18 million women find their true bra size, and you could be next. And what I love is that the perfect fit is promised. They stand behind their products. If you don't love the fit from Third Love, exchanges and returns are free. That's right. They're free. And what I also love about Third Love is that they give back. They're the largest donor of undergarments in the U.S. They've helped donate over 40 million in product to help women make powerful life changes. Listen, Third Love knows you deserve to feel comfortable and confident 24-7. So right now they're offering all of you, my listeners of Behind the Velvet Rope, 20% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash velvet now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 20% off your first order purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash velvet for 20% off today. And I met some amazing women who like every perception I had of these people are bad people was like, no, like these people are not bad people. And I met some amazing women in there who really shaped the way that i you know, it, what it did was it rocked my, like all of my thoughts about the world started to change because I realized that like everything that I thought that I knew, I didn't really know. And that I was no better or no worse than any of the women in here. And that none of them, you know, were, nearly as like dangerous or scary as I thought that they were and I was in protective custody where women were charged for murder and it's like you know even then it's like they're just they're they're they were as much as like scared little girls as I was you know like traumatized children I mean how can like when one in four girls in the United States is going to be sexually abused before the age of 18 like what do we do with like the fact that like people keep raping us? Like, what do we do? I don't know. I think we've, you know, we either shut down or we turn to drugs or, you know, overeat or undereat or whatever we do, we become sick. I bet if people stopped like raping us, things would get a lot better in this country. And it was really that time in jail. I mean, I know you said like you were lucky, like you were a white woman, like you got out, you went to rehab. I know you then relapsed, but like that time in jail, the first time was like what kind of changed it for you of like, 
I got to change my life. Um, the first time I went to jail and I kicked and I was in there, I spent the summer in there. Um, that six-month sentence, I think I did. In LA County, you do 10% of your time because their, their jails are so over full, which they shouldn't be, but they are. Um, we send so many people to jail, but there's no space, so people get out after 10% of their time. So, lucky me, I got out after like 38 days or something like that. Right. I couldn't stop using drugs. Like, I thought that, like, like I that heroin was a problem but like I, there was no tools like you like I was saying in the beginning like the drugs aren't the problem um like I was the problem like all of my trauma was the problem like I needed to go and get help and I didn't have access to help so of course I like became addicted to drugs right away again you know um and you know and I want to go back on like all of the stuff with the Kardashians it's not about the Kardashians I mean, that's just, like, my commentary. Like, I just think it's, like, lazy to, like, look at any celebrity who's, like, doing the bare minimum and, like, clap for them. Like, I just think we need to be doing more. And it's not, you know, I'm not, like, trying to hate on Kim Kardashian. I'm just saying, like, if we're going to survive, like, if you have children, then you should be concerned about what's happening systemically and societally in this country because it doesn't matter you know we've seen lots of celebrity kids who have died from overdoses like drug addiction climate crisis like none of these things discriminate and they don't happen Mm. in a vacuum it's not like all of a sudden it's just like there's one issue and I can pinpoint the issue it's like it's the systemic problem and so until people who have power start really making change then it's not gonna happen you know and I just hope my only hope is that people like I don't have that much power or influence my hope is that people who do start doing something because we're all screaming from the rooftops like we have to change and I'm not saying you can't have your nice house or nice cars or set each of your children up with amazing you know like bank accounts for when they're older and that you can't do these things. But I'm saying like we all have to do more. Okay, so going back to that, I, I got out of jail, immediately relapsed within two weeks. My addiction was worse than it ever had been because I had so much shame at this point about the fact that I was a felon and about the show that had now aired. And I hated the way that it was like edited. And I thought that it was like all their fault. And I had no responsibility for my part in it. And so I had all this shame and all of this pain go back to drugs. I had no more money though because I'd spent all of my money from the show at that point. And yeah, I just was like over it and I was ready to die. Like I didn't really care if I like went back to jail. I didn't care if I overdosed. My addiction went from like zero to 60 like in like one second. So I was shooting up heroin, spending all my time in the valley with like all these dealers and and I stopped showing up to probation and um I remember the night before my arrest it was so just such a dark time for me and I just was so so over life at that point and um I just remember being like if there is a god like I need help like 911 to God because this is terrible. And then the next morning I was arrested 
for not showing up to probation and I had heroin and paraphernalia on me. They ended up arresting me and taking me in back to Linwood where I detoxed for the second time. It was a way worse detox than the first time. I was so ill. Yeah. And thankfully, by the grace of God, instead of sending me to six years in prison, they sentenced me to one year of court-mandated treatment. And I got into that treatment center for free um, because the owner was like, here's this pseudo-celebrity girl who's going to get me some promotion. So he took me in. And, and that's not to say that it wasn't like kind and gracious of him, but that's just the way that it works. Like if we're keeping it real, like mm-hmm. I'm a, like, you know, still somewhat cute white girl you know, who might be able to, like, make it out of this and become, like, a celebrity again, and I'm going to attribute it all to this treatment center, which, like, all the treatment centers do it. I've done it. Like, that's just how it works. That's what I did, is what I'm saying. Every So I got access to treatment, and it ended up um, saving my life. I went in December 1st, 2010, and... Um, happened. I ended up meeting my husband um, at an AA meeting. You know, we've been married for eight years. And yeah, the last decade has been a real wild ride. But I'm grateful that that for every moment of sobriety, like my life is, I really wouldn't have it any other way. And I mean, you must feel lucky in the sense that like some people never come out the other end. Like you, that, that time you were, you just, I mean, it must've been like, it's a chemical thing, but what? It's a lot of mind too. Like you, someone can't get sober unless they really are like, this is time. Like, I guess that was just your rock bottom. Like, I'm going to do this. I mean, things, I don't know. I just think that um, for whatever reason, God scared me. I don't think it's a matter of like willpower again like there are plenty of people who I know really wanted to be sober so bad that have died in the last 10 years I don't think it's a matter of willpower like it wasn't like I willed myself to stay sober or I had like so much determination to stay sober there have been plenty of people in the last 10 years of my sobriety who um didn't make it and they loved their kids and they loved their family and they died. The hard thing about being in this work is that people die. They die a lot. And it's really, really sad to see. Uh, one of the men who helped me the most when I was sober, uh, or early, in early sobriety in the treatment center, Robert, died a couple of years ago. That's really hard when someone after so many years of sobriety goes out and dies. And so it's not a matter of willpower. Every day that I'm sober is a gift. I don't know why I got this thing and other people don't. I don't know why the obsession to get loaded all the time left from me. I just know that by doing the podcast and helping the people that I do at at the treatment center um, at Aloe House and doing doing the work that I do helps me stay sober and 
and that's what I do, you know. Which is a great gift to, like you said, God saved you and now to be able to like pay it forward with your husband and help all these people. Yeah. Listen, there's a lot of divorces happening during this period. I mean, I think you realize you either married the, the right person, it's your best friend, or you made a huge mistake. Yeah, I'm really lucky. Evan's an incredible father and he's an incredible partner. Um, he pushes me to be better every day. He challenges my beliefs. He is so gentle and kind. He is such a balanced person. And nobody's perfect, but he's pretty fucking close. And meeting him in AA, like he never, you know, I mean, I assume meeting there, like he never, you know, challenged your story. You know, like I said, like there's a lot of like tabloid fodder on you, but that was never a part of it. It's just he saw you as a human being. Yeah, I mean, my husband's Canadian, so I don't think he really, and, and he's, 15 years almost 16 years older than me so I don't think he really cared about the pop culture stuff and um he <laughs> he jokes that like I was like the modern day Robin Hood and he was <laughs> he's like instead of taxing the rich you steal from them and I'm like that's you know he's obviously joking he's yeah like, you know it fucking cares like you know, it was a terrible thing. It's in the past. I don't really care. He makes jokes about it. We have a laugh about it. He's like, you, you know, it's not like you like intentionally killed anyone. Like, it's okay. Has he ever seen the bling ring? Have you ever? I mean, I imagine you saw the movie. I have not seen the movie to this day. Don't think I ever will. And he ordered the movie once when I was out of town with the girls (laughs) and he was like, I made it 15 minutes. And then he was like, I couldn't watch it anymore. Just because he knows, you know, he knows like what happened. So he was just like, I just can't. Yeah. He was like, it was so volatile. I was like, I know. (laughs) Did you ever, did you ever hear from Emma Watson who played you, whose character apparently was based on you? Um, no. I mean, she made some commentary about me that I have talked about in the past that I thought was just, it really spoke volumes to who we are as a society. Um, you know, she made this like, I don't know, something along the lines of, it was like painful for her to do my character or something like that. And um it's just interesting because as a UN women's ambassador, you would think that she would have, at this, that point, I had already come out publicly about being raped when I was four to seven and about what was happening in my household when I was growing up. And I understand that the movie was based off of the article and the book, which was really, again, non-nuanced and didn't really talk about the societal and systemic issues. Um But yeah, her commentary I found to be really interesting given the fact that um, I I thought I had the perception that she was this really evolved person and it just became apparent to me that um, that might not be the case. Has writing the book, Recovering from Reality and having the podcast, like has that been really cathartic too? I mean, the podcast, it sounds like you love it. I mean, the podcast, the podcast, Yeah, I mean, I started the podcast when I was in the middle of a suicidal depression. 
And so it hasn't been hard, but it has been cathartic. And the relationships that I've made along the way are um, just so profound. And I'm so grateful for all of the teachers too. I mean, it's amazing when you ask people to come on and just how much you learn about life and seeing, you know, because I have people from all different walks of life. And I talk about this one woman who I met that has really changed my life in huge ways. Um, and her name is Ashley Marie Preston. And she's this amazing black trans woman who came on the podcast to share her recovery story. And it just broke me open into a million pieces. And she's taught me so much. So it's like, those experiences are incredible. Podcast is a lot. Like, it's hard. I've put out, you know, a consecutive 110 or so episodes now. It's hard to put out content every single week. It's hard when you're very opinionated, like clearly I am, and outspoken for the backlash because I don't, you know, um, deal with, you know, beating around the bush. <laughs> um so it's a lot. The book was not really a cathartic experience. It felt like I was really having to, I was also writing the book in the middle of a suicidal depression. There's a lot that I would add to the book now. And I often think about going in and revising Recovering from Reality just because I've learned so much in these last couple of years with my sobriety. But the book is amazing. It's changed a lot of lives, helped a lot of people. And I'm really grateful that my story has inspired people to, you know, whether it's get sober or just like to go and heal their inner child and heal their trauma. And I think like to take it back full circle to where you started, you know, I too, it's a subject I talk about, you know, that we as a society, things are out of whack when, you know, you will bow down to like, you know, like a Kim Kardashian or any of these celebrities or someone has a certain number of followers, you know, like having, like literally recovering from reality, not to like make a play on the name of your podcast and book. Like, it sounds like you have a good understanding of like how the media works. And I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just a topic I could talk about all day. It's like that these are our idols, that these are our people that are revered just because you're on a TV show or have a certain number of followers. Like we've gone too far, people. Um, I mean, recovering from reality. Yeah, it has, it ha it's obviously like recovering from reality because I'm recovering from like a reality show, which is funny, but it's also about recovering from life. Recovering from reality is a platform for people to come together and talk about recovering from their, their darkest period, from, from hardship, from loss from losing a parent, a loved one, from overcoming addiction, to making it out of sex work, to whatever it might be. So it is, um, it is a community of people who are on the path towards healing. And it's for people who are ready to wake the fuck up and get out of um, the, the, yeah, the like, status quo of of the world which <laughs> listen you love Paris Hilton or Kim Kardashian or 
any pop culture icon. I get it, and that's fine. Uh, what I'm asking us to do is to think harder, mm-hmm. is to examine our our relationship with the world, with our subconscious belief systems, with like question it all. Like, I think what really set me free is like stepping into my own vulnerability and my willingness to be wrong and to explore like, who am I? I don't think that the vast majority of the world really knows who they are. I think they've been programmed with what they've received from their parents and developed, you know, a bunch of subconscious belief systems. And then, you know, they're shaped by like their own personal world experience. And what really helped me was going in and exploring all of that and being like, is this the truth or not? That makes sense. And you love what you do now. And I have to ask though, would you ever, like if someone came along, you know, and said, okay, let's do a show about the Haynes family, Heinz family. You could show your treatment center. Like, would you ever do another reality show? Or are you just like, been there, done that. I know how this is going to go. You have the best intentions. I don't buy it. You're not going to show us as a nice, happy family. And these are all the great things we're doing. It's going to go left. Or would you be open to it? I think for the right show, I would do it. And I think going into it now, and this is, you know, we've talked about this. I've sat down with huge production companies. Um, it's like I'm at a point now where it's like I'm willing to play the game in order to get what I want. And what I want is mm-hmm. to make enough money that I can actually start having social impact on this planet. That's what I want. And I want to have enough influence that I can break the status quo and start challenging people's beliefs. And that's what I want. So, um, you know, it's fine. You know, I I think I'm open to it. It would have to be the right show. And that makes sense. You're like out the other side, like, you know how it works. I've always said, if I got a reality show, I would be on it for the rest of my life because I know how it works. I get how it works. And it's like, you can play me, but I'm playing you too. So that's kind of, I think, what you're saying, which I think is smart. But I'm like playing you for the right reasons. I feel like all the reality stars are playing all of us. And it's like, I'm playing you with an end game in mind to like change the fucking world is my intention. And so, you know, it's like, it's a risk benefits thing at that point. And I'm honestly at the point where I'm like so secure and grounded and know who I am and what I need and how to set boundaries and all those things. That's like, I could really give a shit what someone's personal opinion of me is. I just don't care. That's a good place to be. It is. No, thank you so much for having me, David. And if people want to follow along with the podcast, they can at Recovering From Reality. You can follow me on Instagram at it's Alexis Haynes or at recovering from reality and I have an amazing course the life reset course um, which is kind of pretty much like a combination of all of my like life work on how to heal and um, it's an amazing community and and you know I'm all about helping people heal and so if you're wanting to follow along with that or you're wanting to learn more sign up for my newsletter if you go on my um, Instagram page on my link tree you, it will say free meditation, download, 
you know, if you sign up for the newsletter and if you sign up for the newsletter, then you'll get like a lot of good stuff each week from me. And um, if you or a loved one needs help and you need to go into treatment, please reach out or you can visit us at um, our, you can just look up our house recovery centers. Um, we're located in Malibu and Los Angeles. Everyone needs to follow you. Thank you so much, David. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Keep in touch. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind the Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon. Because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.